Our lesson today is going to be from the 13th chapter of the Gospel according to John. This begins a section. These five chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, that give us the most intimate glimpse into the mind of our Savior. We hear his final words of instructions to his disciples. And it is a remarkably informative and helpful section of scripture. So much so that many have felt that at the beginning of chapter 13, verse 1 is actually a, a sort of introduction, a preface to this entire section. So let me read to you from the New English Bible the first 17 verses of chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. It was before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that his hour had come and he must leave this world and go to the Father. He had always loved his own who were in the world and now he was to show the full extent of his love. The devil had already put it into the mind of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. During supper, Jesus, well aware that the Father had entrusted everything to him, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from table, laid aside his garment, and taking a towel, tied it round him. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel. When it was Simon Peter's turn, Peter said to him, You, Lord, washing my feet? Jesus replied, You do not understand now what I am doing, but one day you will. Peter said, I will never let you wash my feet. If I do not wash you, Jesus replied, You are not in fellowship with me. Then, Lord, said Simon Peter, not my feet only, wash my hands and my head as well. Jesus said, a man who is bathed needs no further washing. He is altogether clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. He added the words, not every one of you, because he knew who was going to betray him. After washing their feet and taking his garments again, he sat down. Do you understand, he asked, what I have done for you? You call me Master and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Then if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. You are to do as I have done for you. In very truth, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger, the one who sent him. If you know this, happy are you if you act upon it. Amen. May God bless to our hearts and understanding of this part of his word. Now then, I want us to think for a while about our lesson, which will mark the beginning of a series of four sermons which will deal with these thoughts in the upper room, and which will take us ultimately to Calvary and to uh, the resurrection morning. First of all, we have to recall the situation. John 
in his record of the gospel, roughly divides it in two, with one whole section, chapters 1 through 12, telling us some things, principally some great conversations and discourses and events that take place. And then in the last chapters of his book, he devotes nearly all of it to the events of the last night of Jesus' life. A more solemn occasion could scarce be imagined than this. Jesus has already come into the city of Jerusalem. His disciples have gone before him. They have selected for him a large upper room where he would celebrate the Passover feast. They have gone into the room. And when you read the parallel account of this event from the Gospel according to Luke, you will see that even on the way to the upper room, the disciples were having an argument as to which one of them was the greatest. It was customary in that day and in that time that when you went to a dinner party or when you went to a feast, that a slave would meet you as you came to the door and that the slave would stoop down and with a big copper basin, he would take it and place it there and pour water into it and wash your feet. A person's body might be bathed and clean, but walking on the footpath there would be inches of dust or there would be liquid mud. And so it was the slave would meet a person and as a intimate courtesy would wash away the dust that he had contracted from the walk on the road. Jesus' disciples, of course, had no slave. And maybe each one of them thought that the other one ought to stoop down and to wash his feet. They were arguing about which one would be the greatest, which one would sit on the right or on the left in his kingdom. In here, Jesus' mind is full of the thoughts that have to do with his own separation from God as he who knew no sin will become sin for us upon the cross. Here he is to leave in only a few hours these fishermen and tax collectors whom he has called to follow him. And they are to be the ones that will bear up his message and bring it out to the whole world. And what are they talking about? They're talking about which one of them will be the greatest. And so it was that he is going to show them the love. I, I'm very impressed with the New English Bible's translation here. He had always loved his own who were in the world, and now he was to show them the full extent of his love. That is, he will pour out his life upon the cross. The devil had already put the thought into Judas' mind to betray Jesus. And Judas will be one of those there in that upper room at that supper. And Jesus will take Judas' feet into his own hands. And he will dip them into the water in the basin and he will wash the feet of Judas. And all the while Judas is thinking about the 30 pieces of silver that are his for betraying Jesus. And Jesus had disappointed Judas. Judas had wanted him to lead in a great kingdom of which he would have a political power and authority. And the church always gets into great trouble when it puts its emphasis upon this world 
instead of the world to come. If we want to be the best possible citizens of this world, we will look toward heaven and take our cue from our master there. Well, Judas, disillusioned with Jesus, has sold him out, and yet Jesus will wash Judas' feet in that upper room that night. He had taken off his outer garment, had girded a towel around his waist, left one long end of it. He stooped down and began to wash their feet. And he comes to Simon Peter. Peter is always the impetuous and impulsive one who will speak exactly what he thinks. There are two kinds of dignity and two kinds of pride here. There is a pride as to which one of us shall be the greatest. There is a dignity that we want conferred upon us by other men. And so we strive to get that kind of dignity. And then there is a dignity and a pride which will cause us to refuse even salvation itself. And so when Jesus comes to Peter and stoops down at Peter's feet and picks up the big fisherman's foot in his hand and reaches into the copper basin to pour water upon it, Peter says, Stop, Lord. I can't stand this. You can never wash my feet. You see the point? There are people who say, I don't need Jesus as my Savior. I don't need a crucified Lord dying upon the cross. I don't want that talk about the blood of Jesus for my sins. I'll go it my own way. I'll do my own works. I'll not humble myself to be obligated to him. That's the kind of pride that will keep you out of heaven. Last week in our communicants class, we went over the, what is a Christian. We talked of some of the difficult sayings of Jesus. Whoever follows after me, said Jesus, must be willing to love me more than father or brother or sister or wife or children or lands. Why don't we emphasize that anymore? There are people who say, well, if God does this, then I don't want to go to heaven. If so-and-so isn't going to be there, I don't want to be there. You won't be there. Don't worry about it. You won't be there. You're writing your own ticket. You're rewriting what Jesus says. When you come after him, Jesus is Lord. And Peter had to swallow his own pride. And Jesus took his smelly fisherman's foot into his hand. And washed it. And Peter, bless his heart, Peter, Peter says, Lord, don't wash my feet only. Wash my head and my hands as well. He swings like a pendulum from one extreme to the other. And Jesus says, no. What I'm teaching you here is a lesson. He that is washed need not accept that his feet should be washed here. Now let me say this about foot washing. About a year ago, someone called me on the telephone and said some of our young people are washing each other's feet. Well, I said they could be doing a lot worse than that. And this doesn't uh, upset me. In, a, in the day in which we live, though we travel by automobile, we wear shoes, we wear socks, there's not so much the need of foot washing as there might have been, although it might cause us to swallow some of our pride if we did. Pope John the 23rd went out into the streets, went out to Rome and 
and washed the feet of some people there on Monday, Thursday, and brought alive again a tradition that had been dropped for about 90 years. Many sovereigns have taken this as an example and have washed each other's feet. The important thing is the lesson that is here, that we should be willing to be servant to the other, that pride will keep us out of the kingdom of heaven, that pride will keep us from the lordship of Jesus Christ. Only a broken heart can receive a crucified Lord. Only a heart that says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I yield it up to Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Lord of me. Lord of all that I am to do. I am possessed by him. This is what the Gospels teach. This is what scripture teaches. So Jesus washes Peter's feet. And then he tells Peter an interesting thing. He says to Peter, you do not understand now what I'm doing, do you? One day you'll look back and you'll understand it. And I think years later when John the Apostle wrote down these words, that John recalled the indelible impression that had been made upon his mind that night in that upper room. When the Lord and Master of them all, the incarnate Son of God, laid aside his robes and stooped down and washed their dirty feet. And John could never quite get that out of his mind. And so when he took his pen in hand to write down the gospel according to John, the Holy Spirit prompted him, write this down, John. You'll never forget that. And Jesus said, you can't understand it now, but one day you'll understand it. Those of us who are parents face this all the time. We have to say to young people, you can't understand what I'm trying to tell you now. You'll just have to wait, honey. I can't explain it to you now. You can't comprehend it now. But one day you'll understand it. Just trust me. One day you'll understand it. How many times we have to say this to a child because this is his experience in growing. So much will depend upon what happens in the days that lie ahead for him to come to an understanding of what you're saying to him now. And Jesus had this experience with his disciples here. I have often said that you may read the words of Jesus, I am the resurrection and life, a thousand times. But you'll never know their full meaning until one day with your broken heart. You stand and you look into a coffin and you see someone that you love more than life itself. You see the body of a little child, your son or your daughter. You see your mother or your father. You see your wife or your husband. And your heart is breaking. And then those words of Jesus will come ringing into your soul again. And that what has happened in the days that have gone by will now be illuminated by truth that you simply could not understand any other way. And so it was here. Jesus said, you don't understand now. But one day you will understand what I've done in this solemn hour with the shadow of that approaching catastrophe of the cross falling upon them. He is teaching them humility. So he applies his lesson. 
You call me master, said Jesus. You call me master. You call me Lord, and so I am your master and your Lord. Then if I, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. Here is the way this pride is dealt with. I remember once reading a, an old legend, a legend of a great saint. And the demons had come trying to get into the saint's mind and to attack his piety and his devotion to Christ. They had tried every trick, and nothing seemed to work. Lust would not work. Money would not work. And so the demons went back to their senior devil and they said, there's no way that we can get through to him. And one of the senior devils said, I will show you how to get to him. And the senior devil went to the saint and he whispered in his ear, your brother has just been made bishop of Alexandria. And that did it. Jealousy and ambition, that did it. Jealousy and ambition Jesus sought to deal with here in this upper room that night. This pride which would make the angels fall. Samuel Rutherford, the great Scottish Christian at whose grave I had the privilege of praying last summer. Samuel Rutherford once wrote a letter to Lord Kinmore. And he said to him, Sir, I ever saw that your spirit was haughty and full of pride. Remember that the gate into heaven is a very, very low gate. He said, bend, sir, stoop low, or you'll never get into heaven. Pride will keep you out. And so it is true. And where you have found the greatest saints of the ages, you have found those who have been willing to be servants. Last week I picked up a copy of the devotions of Brother Lawrence. Here a man who was converted in the springtime in a monastery in France. A man who one day was watching the buds begin to break forth into life again. And who began to think about the mighty power of God in nature. And then began to think about how God had revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And Brother Lawrence surrendered himself and became a follower of Jesus. He entered a monastery. He had club feet. And so they assigned him to a place in the kitchen. And because he was awkward and crippled, he sometimes stumbled and dropped some of the bowls that were there. And he was scolded by his superiors. But Brother Lawrence learned a tremendous lesson. He learned that he could even pick up a straw, as he said it, to the glory of God that he could wash pots and pans to the glory of God. No one even knows the name of the abbot who was chief of Brother Lawrence. No one even knows who his superiors are. We never hear of them. But people keep on reading his devotions. The kitchen scullery man who washed the pots and pans to the glory of God. Jesus is teaching them. I am your Lord and Master, and I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. This means dying more and more to self, doesn't it? It means living 
more and more to Christ, and as we do, we build a life like Brother Lawrence. Or perhaps you remember the story of the Lincoln Cathedral. It's one of the greatest of all the cathedrals in the world. And in the Lincoln Cathedral, there is the most famous stained glass window of any church on all of the planet Earth. And when you go there, the verger will take you around and will show you the various monuments and statues that are in the Lincoln Cathedral. And then he will lead you up and take you to the famous stained glass window. And you'll marvel that the mind and hands of man could ever do anything so intricate and so beautiful. And then he will tell you the story that a famous artist in glass had been hired and had des designed many of the windows that were there. And that a lowly apprentice boy from London had come to work as his assistant. And that the master craftsman would take bits of glass that didn't suit him and throw them away. And the apprentice took the cast-off pieces and he made them into that magnificent window that's there. Well, Jesus, Jesus said that the, the first would be last and the last would be first. He said he came to seek and to save those who were lost. The lost and the least he could use them, and he can make beautiful saints out of them. I mentioned St. Patrick a while ago. Do you know his story? High was captured by pirates on the coast of Britain. High was taken to Ireland at 16. High was sold as a slave, and he labored as a shepherd sleeping out under the skies at night. He had learned the message of the gospel, and in his despair, he began to pray. And sometimes the nights passed so quickly because God was so close and so near to him. And Patrick of Ireland became a tremendous saint. He later went to France and took training, and he came back at the age of 40 to Ireland. When Ireland was broken up into warring tribes that killed and devoured each other. And he brought the Christian message to Ireland. And his name is reverenced and honored to this day. And if you ever find his poem and it's beautiful, you ought to cut it out and put it in your Bible. Christ within me, Christ beside me, Christ above me, Christ behind me. Christ at my right hand, Christ at my left hand. Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Christ in every word I say. This was the devotion of Patrick of Ireland. Shepherd boy turned to God and made a saint. Maybe in the church we become too conscious of this world and its methods. And in this, here Jesus teaches us a lesson. He stoops and washes their feet in humility. He shows them love. The 34th verse at the end of this chapter tells us a new commandment that I give you, 
And the new commandment is that you love one another. The new commandment is that you love one another. Even as I have loved you. We are to love one another as he loved us. Do you really love your friends like Jesus loved them? Or do you even love your enemies at all? This is one of those passages that certainly does whittle us all down to size. Because love has got to be more than just words. Love has got to be real. And we've got to show it. We've got to demonstrate it. And that's costly. It means that we are to die to self. The new commandment that you love one another when John was an old man. And he was incarcerated or rather exiled on the island of Patmos. Great visions came to him and great dreams were his. And John on the island of Patmos lived to an old age. We think he's the only one of the 12 apostles who was not martyred. There was a congregation of Christian believers there and John was their pastor and their minister. The John who wrote these words. And that John as an old man up in his 90s. When his eyesight had grown dim and he could no longer see. He would be carried by loving hands each week to the place where the Christian assembly met. And the preacher would, after the singing of the psalms and the lesson from the gospel record that John had given them. They would always, out of respect for John, ask him to give a message to the flock. And the legend, which is ancient and believed by many to be very true, says that John always gave the same sermon over and over and over as an old man. And Eastman, the poet, has painted for us this scene when John is led in blind and he sits and listens on this island where the waves are lapping up and biting away at the rock. And John is begged to speak. And his congregation knows that his days are numbered and that the old man will die. And John starts to speak and when they look upon his good face, some of them begin to sob. And Eastman has John say these words. How dark it is. I cannot seem to see the faces of my flock. Is that the sea that murmurs so? Or is it weeping? Hush, my little children. God so loved the world, he gave his son. So love ye one another. Love God. And love man. And that would be John's sermon. And that's the message of what Jesus did in his parabolic action. Just as he laid aside his outer garment and took the 
vessel of a slave into his hands, so did he lay aside the glory of heaven and come to earth. Just as he stooped to wash their feet, so he went all the way to the death of the cross and poured out his life so that we might be washed from our sins and made right in the presence of God. And so he taught us that we ought to love one another. Let us stand in prayer. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, the lesson which we have read is marvelous to read. Oh, but it's so difficult for us to put into practice day by day. Therefore, we pray that thou wilt help us to be crucified with Christ so that we can say with St. Paul that we live and yet not we are living, but Christ is living in us. It's so hard to love people who have done those things to us which are wrong, and yet we know how greatly he loved. Help us to be willing to lose our lives and not care, to give and not to count the cost, to battle for Jesus and not to heed the wounds, to desire no other thing in life, except to glorify him. Forgive us in the church wherever we have made a mockery of his sacred teachings and have failed. And grant us by the cleansing power of his blood forgiveness for sin and a willingness to forgive one another and a power from the Holy Spirit to love one another. Enable us to reach people with that love. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with you both now and forevermore.